Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelley, Tara, Connor, the Reverends Langenstein, and Annalise. Thank you for your money. Uh, right now, I just used it this week to... What did I pay for? Or new glasses. I used the money to pay for new glasses. So you're helping me see, listeners. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's like that part. And you remember that part in the Fairly Odd Parents? You ever watched Fairly Odd Parents growing up, Joe? I did. Where they go back in time and they give King Arthur glasses. And then he transformed into from like little kid King Arthur into like big buff King Arthur because he could finally see. Listeners, that's what I'm seeing right now in Joe. She's just she's just an Amazon now, now that she can see. That's why I'm comfortable wearing tank tops now because I've I've bulked up. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm just sweaty because I rearranged my closet. Anyway, if you have five dollars or more a month to spare and would like to help us do more fun stuff like pay for my contacts, make new and exciting merch, go on the road, uh, transcribe all of our episodes. I need to get a new microphone since one day I have to give this microphone back. That's true. If you want to help Ethan get a real new microphone, not the fake new mm. microphone we got before, you can join our supporters <laughs> over on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. You also get access to a patron-only podcast feed, including bonus content and some fun wrestling bonus content coming up in the future. And the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk. Um, we recently talked about all of the new uh, space images from the JWST. So if you want to hear Ian talk about his existential fear every time he sees a galaxy, you should listen to that episode because it's going to be fun. No trolling from Ian. He like the whole time was like, no, this is what I honestly think about space. And this is why I talk wow. about the little fish who make gravity happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I couldn't help but troll because space is incredibly boring. We all know it. I'm tired of pretending otherwise. Oh my gosh. You know why? There's no people in space. There are literally people in space right now, Ethan. Out out in those galaxies that people were looking at in the telescope? Well, we don't know about that, but there are people literally in space in the International Space Station right now. Let let me know when they open up a Nando's Peri Peri Chicken in the Aurora Borealis Galaxy or whatever. Then I'll care. <laughs> Okay. That's a, that's a good goal. That's a, that's something that we can strive for. Oh yeah. If you want to help Ethan figure out that space is not so bad, actually give us money and we'll keep on working on it. But if you are not in a position to support us financially, there are still ways you can help us out. You can subscribe to us on the podcasting app of your choice, rate and review us on Apple podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice or follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just keep listening because that's good too. Yes, it is. And now on to the show. I think we should allow our guests to determine the mini-sode, Joe. That's true. No, it's okay. We can talk about, because it's all connected. Okay. It's actually all connected. Gnostic heresies and children's messages. <laughs> yes. Children's messages and Gnostic heresies. Okay, well, lead us. Lead us on the way. One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? So when you were talking, Joe, about uh, going into a situation and, and wanting to be the one who's right, wanting to be the one who orders the meeting because you know the right thing to do and you know the right, because you've been to seminary, right? right. And we learned the thing in seminary. One of the things that I've learned the hard way um, being in ministry is that very often 
the people in my congregation are better educated than I am, I mean, especially working in the DC metro area. There's a lot of folk walking around with a lot more education. And even if even if they have equivalent or less formal education, they are full grown adults who function in their full grown adult lives. Mm-hmm. And so walking in with the assumption that I know more or can do better is, is never gonna work. But the thing that where it really matters to me in doing Christian education is around adult Bible study and around adult spiritual formation. There was a phrase that got kicked around a lot. I hope they're not still using it. But when I was in seminary and when I first went into ministry, pastors were describing themselves as the resident theologian. Of we heard church. this too. Yeah, we, we have heard. Okay. That. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's toxic because mm-hmm. what it says, if you are the resident theologian, it means nobody else is a theologian. Mm-hmm. And all the theologian is, is someone who thinks about God. And so by saying that the pastor is the resident theologian, you're saying you have, I have special knowledge that other people don't have access to. And that is the definition of Gnostic heresy. Secret knowledge, secret knowledge that only I have access to because I'm the one who's been to seminary or because I've gone whatever Gnostic initiation of ordination. That's Gnostic heresy. And our job is not to hold all this knowledge to ourselves and dole it out in little secret bits. It's to make give people the tools to know things themselves because the Bible is very transparent. And if you don't understand it the first time, there's the freaking footnotes at the bottom of the page, right? They're there for a reason. And there's translations at different reading levels. So that it really doesn't matter whether you have a PhD or whether you never finished high school. There are ways of accessing this information. And I think our job as clergy is to open those doors up instead of walking in and needing to be the expert on everything and saying, that's that's what I know. Mm-hmm. But you were asking about children's messages. And mm-hmm. this is how it connects, right? Because I think children are some of the best theologians. Children think very deeply about God because they haven't been told that they can't. Yes. Yeah. Right. Adults, adults, when adult Bible study can be very frustrating because when we first start, adults think there's one right answer Mm -hmm. and they're, and they'll try to get to the one right answer and they'll try to get me to give them the one right answer. And that's, and that's not how kids are. Kids will will make associations. They'll talk very sincerely about their experiences of God. They don't necessarily have the same vocabulary for it, but they will talk very openly about that. And I think part of our job, part of my job, is to keep those channels open. At National, we use Godly Play, mm-hmm. which I love, love so much. Will you explain what that is? Because I don't think our listeners know what that is. Well, Godly Play is, um, it's a, it came out of the Episcopal Church. It's a curriculum that's modeled on the principles of Montessori education. And the idea is that you tell the Bible stories in a very simple way using little wooden, oh, I could pull out a, a couple of the figures, but it wouldn't do any good for the podcast. Right. Uh, little, little, plain little wooden figures. So with no faces, no features, 
so that the children are using their own imaginations to fill in the features of Moses. Basically, Moses is a little wooden blob and you move Moses through the desert. And so you tell the story very simply. This is what happened in the story. And then at the end, you ask the children wondering questions. So, for instance, if you were telling the story of um, of the going through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, I wonder how it felt to walk through where the sea had been. I wonder how it felt when they were on the side and they, they thought they couldn't get through. And I wonder how it felt when they were on the other side. I wonder what part of this story is about you or where you are in this story. And when you do those kind of wondering questions, children, first of all, will answer them. Adults will like, well, I don't know. What is the right answer? <laughs> There's not a right answer. Children will answer and they'll, they'll really engage with it. And what I've watched is that children who start doing that kind of, I wonder, engaging those questions when they're three years old, when they hit fifth grade, they think theologically. Hmm. They see God everywhere. They see how God interacts. They would be very excited about the space telescope pictures because they think theologically about where is God in that picture. It's really cool to watch. But it's all about equipping. If I go in and tell the kids, well, this is what this means. Now memorize this verse. It means this one thing. Memorize that. That's not equipping them to think theologically. Mm-hmm. And it's also not honoring their experience of God. Children mm-hmm. have an experience of God from the moment that they're born. The premise of godly play is that all we're doing is giving them vocabulary to express it and some stories to connect it with their experience, with the experience of people who came before them. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, it, it is one of my favorite things. One of those things that I think in seminary, uh, I have found that there are some people who roll their eyes and are like, oh, well, that's just, you're just playing with dolls. Like, nice on you mm. that you get a kit of these things without understanding that you're, that you are wondering, that you're guiding, that you are, you are exactly, you're equipping kids to do this work. I mean, that's, when I did informal science education, that was a lot of how we rewrote curriculums. Instead of it being, we're going to tell you these 10 facts about space. It was, let's figure out how we learn about these things. And like, let's teach you how to go do this on your own. Mm-hmm. And and some kids, even like, even like second graders, there are some second graders who are like, but I know there's a right answer, right? Like I'm the smart kid in class. I know there's a right answer. I don't explore. I don't wonder. I find the right answer and I tell you it, which is, is kind of heartbreaking to see when that happens because yeah. you see yeah. how they're going to be as an adult. But yeah, like if we... If we were able to keep that sense of I am a theologian because I think about God and I'm allowed to think about God throughout our lives, I mean, how different would we all be as Christians? Right. Um, And if you're not, you have to be in a church setting that explicitly gives that permission over and over and over again, mm -hmm. because so many churches have not given that permission. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we can have, we can raise the kids from the time that they're little and they just take it for granted that of course you would be able to talk about God and you'd be able to ask wondering questions. You'd be able to express your doubts because that's all they've ever known. But adults are coming into the congregation from all kinds of church backgrounds, some of which have been very damaging Mm -hmm. and some of which have been very doctrinaire. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep admitting. So I think the most powerful quest, the most powerful thing to say as the person who refuses to be called the resident theologian is I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can find out. What yeah. do you think? You know, that's, those are the most important things to be able to say. Hmm. So my follow-up question slash maybe pushback on this is, um, so you came into ministry after this incredible career that I still cannot believe I did not know about (laughs) where you can walk into a room and know that you have this experience behind you, right? You're a full grown adult and everybody's going to see you as a full grown adult. And so there's almost a privilege in that of being able to be, well, of course I can say, I don't know, because people are still going to respect me. Right. Cause I'm still, you know, me when I walk into a room I get told by the older men in the room that uh, it's very quaint that I want to tell you that like maybe Moses didn't exist. But what the older men in the room know is that the the giants spoken of at the beginning of Genesis were aliens. And so clearly Moses was also an alien. And I'm right because I have more experience. I'm the adult in this space. So Ooh. how... That, that's bananas. That's amazing. I like that. I, you know, the man who yelled at me during the middle of my sermon, who like, you know, started my exit from my church is the man who was like, oh no, like the, the Bible is full of aliens. And I was like, that's not really supported by the text. Like let's, but let's talk about where that idea came from. And he's like, no, it's right there. The Nephilim, they're aliens. Anyway. And this and this man yelled at you in, this is the man that yelled at you, uh, you know, while you were at the pulpit. You yeah. know what? Like, one, I don't mean to be sidetracked by this. One, nobody should ever yell at you at the pulpit. That's completely no, bullshit. that's not okay. Two, two we, we've established that when that happened, but I want to reiterate that again. Uh, two, two, you know what? Life is too short to cry over weirdos who believe that aliens <laughs> are in the Bible. You know? And that's, I just like, like if that, I'm, I'm just saying, like, like, if I was in the congregation while he did that, I'd be like, I'd be like Franklin. You believe that aliens are in the Bible. It's time to, it's time to let Pastor Joe, you know, alone. But uh, Franklin's not his name. I made that up. Unless his name really is Franklin, in which case that makes sense. It's been such a positive conversation. I don't mean to shit on this person. But yeah, like what, how do you, how, how would you, or what advice might you give as, as somebody is navigating a space, knowing they want to come in and create wondering spirits within the adults in a Bible study, but also still needing to establish, like, I have been to seminary. I do know some things. How do you balance between I have specialized knowledge that I want to share and right. um, maybe gaining the respect you need? Do you just take a long, slow process? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it it depends. Uh, you're right to name that we come into this with different privilege. Okay. So when I started in ministry, I was in my early forties, which mm-hmm. coming into a church space, I was still a kid 
you know, because I'm in a congregation, you've been at Salem, right? The congregation right. was in the seventies. My first Bible study, I think the median age was 76. Wow. So I was a kid. I was a kid. Um, but I'm not anymore. And so I do come into a space with the privilege of being white, of being cisgendered, of being married, um, and of being older now. I watch some of my colleagues who are younger and especially younger women of color mm. and uh, the need to navigate spaces with some authority gets to be really, it's much more fraught than it is for me. Um, I know that there have been times when I very rarely wear a clergy collar, but there are times I put it on mm. and, and they are, there's two times that I put it on. One time is for the pride parade because it's a good sure. visual, but the other time is when I know I'm going into a space where I'm going to be around people who do not recognize female clergy as being valid. Mm -hmm. And then I will come in like, this is the whole armor of God. I'm going to put on my clergy collar. I've also learned, so I come from the West coast. Everybody goes by everybody's first name. It's not a big deal. I, the adults all call me Janet aside from some of them who don't call, some of them will just call me Reverend Janet. But I'm, I am fine with people calling me by my first name. But I think especially for some of the younger clergy, women of color particularly, it's important to be calling them pastor so-and-so and to make sure that the people around them, you know, our, the colleagues around them are honoring that and, and really making sure to model that to the congregation. You know, that this is a person who has this title because she has this training. This is her area. I'm going to defer to this and, and make sure that we are showing that respect for each other's work as mm -hmm. we go through. Part of it is, is colleagues being respectful of each other in a visible way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it is hard. I mean, I, as a deacon, I have been in ministry now for 17, 18 years. Mm -hmm. I still have people asking me when I'm going to get ordained. Oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Still, still. I know. And at this point, it's like, oh, God, that conversation again. Right. And you go back, well, in 1996, we created the permanent order of deacons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, and part of it is, um, I think part of it is also owning your own, like owning your own worth and your own power. Mm -hmm. And also, and, and this is where the call thing is important, right? Because what God asks us to do doesn't depend on whether you can convince the guy who thinks that Moses was an alien that he's wrong. Right. Right? That it doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend on me. You know, if I walk into a space and, and somebody from the church down the road won't call me Reverend Craswell, that doesn't, that doesn't change the call that God has placed on my life. 
And so part of it is knowing that and, and being able to sit securely in that knowledge. And it's hard, hmm. really hard. And I think the church has done a bad job of supporting people who have less privilege in those spaces. I think we've done a bad job with younger clergy. I know we've done a bad job with younger female clergy, especially women of color. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that 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 all strikes me as true. I'm glad there's there's not a magic bullet answer to it though, because I would be real upset <laughs> if I didn't know what it was. <laughs> well, plus, plus, the whole point is. <laughs> There isn't one answer. Right. There almost never is one answer. Almost never is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. I yeah. I and in all of this, I'm thinking back to um, the youth pastors that we've talked to who really see youth as a calling, youth ministry as a calling, um, the people who see uh, college ministry as a calling. There's so often people who are working with. Um, with children, with youth and with young adults really understand that like people are still growing. People are still understanding. And like, how dare you shut a door for them? Like they just want to know, uh, we, we allow them to have that spark. And then, um, boy, it, it can really be a struggle when you're trying to reignite that spark in adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There you have to, um, I, yeah, I don't know how to navigate whether it's humility, whether it's just persistence, whether it's, you know, continually showing up. And that was another difficult thing in my ministry is I really made strides with my Sunday school group that then stopped meeting because of the pandemic. And they weren't comfortable with Zoom. And so showing up on Zoom was a problem. And reading a reflection is very different from being able to have a discussion like this. And then, and then to add on that layer of, you know, at some point I need to tell people, we really need to talk again about King David because he is not the saint that you think he is. And we need to own these separate parts of him. Um, or we need to talk about the curse of ham because in you saying that the curse of ham is correct, this is actively stopping us from doing good work that we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's what I really struggle with is gently setting those boundaries while still allowing for many questions and that's uh, Ian and I talk about this a lot, and I think we always end up with, well, you set the the bumpers on the the bowling aisle uh, around harm. Like if if a if an idea is harmful, then we need to talk about why it's harmful. But also, like, is it harming anyone to think that Moses was an alien? I don't, I don't know. I, it 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 asks what you think of your fellow humans. You know, like let's investigate how you perceive the rest of us. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what I, I struggle with is setting those boundaries, because I think it would be easy to to redirect a child if they were to say my best friend's uh, kid one time they, she was having a meal with a black friend of hers and her son goes, why is Jordan's skin the wrong color? And it's like, oh, my, she like immediately buys all these anti-racist books. Like, let's talk about this. Like, how could my son have said his skin is the wrong color? Plus, just a kid, like a kid not knowing the right word to say when there's not a lot of black people around him in his life. And I think we can have a lot of grace for that. Um, but when an adult says that somebody's skin is the wrong color, well, that's that's baked in a little bit deeper and we need to root it out. And I don't know how to do that work especially as a young clergy woman. 
former young clergy woman. Yeah. And that's, that's what I end up wrestling with. Um, I think there's a lot there. I mean, part of it is, is relational. And this is, this is where being non-itinerant is helpful because you do have time Mm -hmm. to build relationships over time. Um, But part of it is also, so for instance, uh, the adult who says, why is your skin the wrong color? Or why is that person's skin the wrong color? I, I think trying to, and this is hard because my immediate reaction is you're a terrible racist and I don't want to talk to you anymore. But if this is someone in your congregation and the point is that we're all trying to become more like Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Um, approaching that with curiosity instead of condemnation to start. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, I wonder what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. What did, what did you learn about skin color growing up? What were you told? Where did that come from? Um, it is, were you talking about the curse of ham discussion? One of the things that I've done in adult Bible study is be really careful to name the points at which the church has done harm over the centuries. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we're reading here. And you need to know that this passage was used to justify slavery. And this is how it was done. The curse of ham thing was used to justify apartheid in South Africa. Well, I was in, in South Africa in 1984, listening to good church going people tell me that apartheid was justified because of the curse of ham in Genesis. And so being able, sometimes it helps to be able to say, you know, this is what the white South Africans were saying and not say you are saying that too, because if you, they can, they can look at what someone else is saying and say, oh, that's wrong. Right. And then come back and make the make the, their own conclusions, but it's hard. It is very hard. We spent a lot of time uh, the summer of 2020 when everything was on Zoom. Um, I took a group of adults through um, Ibram Kendi's "How to Be an Anti-Racist." We did a whole series on anti-racism, and there were some really deep conversations. But you have to be so gentle yeah. to keep that to keep that conversational space open. And it's hard because I have all kinds of thoughts and opinions, but I have to step back from them sometimes and just help guide gently. I do have to tell you though the story of the the boy saying, Why is that why is that person's skin the wrong color? When my oldest son was, oh, Three, mm-hmm. we were at the Rockville Church. The senior pastor was from St. Kitts. He was a black man with very dark skin. And um, one day he's sitting on the chancel steps, the, doing the children's message. And my two and a half year old, three year old son leans into the microphone and says, what color is your face? <laughs> and Vince didn't skip a beat. He said, my face is brown. What color is your face? And David said, my face is pinky beige. I was horrified. I was horrified. And so I went to him. I went to Vince afterwards. I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. He said, don't do anything. Your child just made an observation. People have different skin colors. If you make a big deal out of it, you're telling him there's something wrong with me being brown. Oh. Mm. He's just made an observation. People have red hair. People have green eyes. People have brown skin. People have pinky beige skin normalize that let it be okay 
And that was really helpful. That's been very helpful advice going forward because we're always dealing with questions of race. We're always dealing with questions of difference in the church. And so we have to normalize families that have two dads and families where somebody has a seeing eye dog, you know, it all has to be normalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. Have you ever read, um, I'm sure you have. It's Last Stop on Market Street. It's a children's book. Yes, yes, yes. I do know that one, yeah. And I, what I love about that book, and I'll put a link to it in the description for the listeners, but what I love about it is this kid is like, why can't that guy see? Why is this happening? And his grandmother is just like, well, he doesn't see with his eyes, but let's ask him what, like how else he sees. And the guy's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I imagine music this way. And it ends up in this, like, just this beautiful moment. And that's what I think of as we, as we say that, is that like, yeah, kids are going to ask questions that shock you because of course they are, they're kids, but being able to say, well, let's think about that. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. let's talk about it. Uh, And to be able to pull back and realize that the shock is mine. Yeah, right? the shock is yours. It's a, the kid has not said something shocking. I'm being shocked because I've been socialized mm-hmm. this way. Mm-hmm. I've been socialized in a harmful way instead of in a helpful way, and so that can be undone. Yeah, I, I just saw. So we we live near Olney, Maryland, and they the Olney Musical Theater just did a production of The Music Man in English and American Sign Language. Oh, wow. And they have they have reimagined that whole play, the whole Iowa town, as if this in this Iowa town there's so many deaf people that everybody signs, hmm. and all the hearing people can sign and interpret, and it's seamless, and it's such a beautiful picture of what full inclusion looks like, and looking out in the audience and realizing there were so many people in the audience who were signing or we're using assisted technology during the performance. It just made me aware of how often you go into spaces like that and they're not diverse. You know, when you see them diverse, you realize, oh, this is what we're supposed to be heading for. And we're not there yet. Yeah. And not in a, not in a performative way, not in a look at us, we have a signer kind of way, but in a like, we're meeting a real need because we love this person and we want this person to be able to fully participate in our congregation. And And this person has leadership qualities. This person has, this person is a theologian. This person is a theologian because everybody is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it for this Mm. mini-sode because we're getting close on time. Well, Janet, thank you so much for this conversation because it has just been so good. We will have to have you back on to talk about more things because I want to talk about um, Reverend Sue's uh, demon project where she worked with how you best use deacons in the church. There's just, there's so much that we can talk about. So I hope you'll want to come back because this has been wonderful. Well, thank you for having me. I've really actually enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect and I've had so much fun talking with you. Yay. Have you been on a podcast before? I have not been on a podcast wow. before. Wow. I feel like I, I, I told my son that I was going on a podcast and he just kind of rolled his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, add it to your CV. You've done it. Right? I know. It's very exciting. <laughs> well, thank you again. And Ethan, will you sign us off? I will. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx Reebok, The Dude, and Aggressively Janet. And we will see you <laughs> next time. That was <laughs> good.
What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomwolf, performed by Joe Schomwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptivedisciples, on Twitter at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. You know, like there's there's the hostess with the mostess, what can be the deacon with the bacon. That's not helpful. <laughs> That's, That's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs>